welcome. Good to see you here at the five o'clock service. Just um, to mention a few things um, about the Israel Houghton uh, concerts next Sunday. Just to say, it's not something that we would normally do, um, cancel some regular services on a Sunday. It's not a thing we would normally do. I've been here 25 years and we've never done that. But we had an opportunity and we felt that the opportunity was too good to miss to have Israel Houghton uh, for Sunday afternoon. And uh, we could have thought about getting a, a very large arena somewhere, but then uh, we felt that the budget on that would be crazy money, really. And so we thought, well, how, how can we maximize this? We, we couldn't just open it and have two services because as many people that got in would also be as many people that didn't get in and they would be disappointed and discouraged and, 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 and our own people might not get into their, their own event. So that's why a few weeks ago when we first got the tickets, we made them available across the services for a period of two weeks so that everyone that was a regular at KT could uh, either reserve one or, or get hold of the tickets. They're not two services, they're two concerts. And so we charge ticket price for people to get in, but there won't be any offerings or anything taken. So we just, we just hope that you will be patient and bear with us and understand that we felt that this was, an, this was a unique opportunity to do something like that. The next Sunday, we'll be right back with our services, and I'll be finishing the current series that we've been looking at for the last two months on spiritual warfare. And not this Sunday, but the Sunday after is actually Pentecost Sunday. We have R.T. Kendall, and uh, he has been uh, preparing his Pentecost sermon already for the 9-11. And uh, I know that he's going to be doing that on the assurance of the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost. And then that 5 o'clock service, I'll be speaking on demons and demonization. So I'll be talking a little bit about demons, what they do, where they come from according to the scriptures. And then I'll be speaking about deliverance and demonization and what the New Testament teaches us about that. Can a Christian have a demon? Colin, our senior minister, was asked once, can a Christian have a demon? And his response was, well, I guess if they really want one, they can have one, which I thought was a good... So we'll, we'll be looking, we'll be looking um, at that. Tonight, at our 7 o'clock Holy Spirit fire service, we're going to be praying for people as the Holy Spirit uh, led last Sunday evening. Um, we felt led to pray for people with skin problems or scalp issues or hair issues. And we had a lot of people respond and come on the platform. And uh, the congregation prayed for them. And we prayed. Didn't have time. And, and maybe it's hard to find a testimony straight away of those issues. So I'm hoping perhaps tonight, uh, with a week gone by, that there might be some people that can give some feedback. Uh, that maybe God touched them or healed them or helped them in some way. Um, with those issues, and we'll also be seeking God to pray for people tonight. I also have a, uh, a prophetic sermon that I want to bring this evening, and it's entitled The City of God. Really what I'm going to be talking about was we're looking at Scripture, because Scripture speaks about a heavenly city called Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the heavenly city, not the one over in the, the Holy Land, and says that we are actually citizens of that city, and that we are pilgrims on earth. And I'll be talking about how, I don't know what your hometown is or the town that you were brought up. Maybe it was London, mine was Harrogate. I'll be speaking about how that certain towns have a certain culture, a certain history. They have things that they are proud of. In fact, you can tell sometimes uh, where somebody's from by their accent, can't you? And so I want to show you how 
on earth, God is expecting us to walk as citizens from heaven with the, with the heavenly city culture, the heavenly city credentials, the heavenly city mind, and not to be attached to the Babylonian city of Revelation that speaks about, and, and that we understand that we are pilgrims in a foreign land. And that is one of the key mindsets to be able to deal with everything that life throws and to be victorious in our walk, to know that we are members of the city of God and what that means in daily life. So I'll be bringing that this evening. But if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. Today I want to speak on the subject of strongholds strongholds, what strongholds are, how to deal with them, how to be delivered from them. And uh, some of uh, you that maybe are cell leaders might remember, I think it was not this year, but last year, after 25 years, everything just sort of like merges into one. And so I get my timings mixed up. But our senior minister spent a whole day with us, a vision day with us, speaking on the subject of what a stronghold was. And I'm very grateful to have his notes and, and, and learn a lot from that myself, and I'll be dipping into that. But here in 2 Corinthians 10, we see that there is a warfare. This warfare is spiritual, and it's to do with destroying strongholds in our lives. Let's read together. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Well, there is so much in that passage. I think the, the main text that we have been looking at throughout this season together has been Ephesians chapter 6. I think that's the starting point for any teaching or learning about spiritual warfare and what spiritual warfare is. And that also speaks about the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in heavenly realms of different authorities. And then, of course, it moves on to speak about standing against the schemes of the enemy, and then it speaks about the armor of God, and in that armor of God there is one offensive weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema word of God. And then it moves on to the next spiritual weapon that we have. We have the word of God, and we use that in prophesying, in preaching, but also in praying. So Ephesians 6 ends speaking about the power of prayer for spiritual warfare. And last Sunday, if you missed it, you can look at it on our media center on kt.org. Last week, I was speaking about the power of prayer to do spiritual warfare. And I used Daniel as the example. How he prayed for three weeks when he read the prophet of Jeremiah said that Israel will be delivered from Babylonian captivity after 70 years. He didn't just say, well, praise the Lord. He took that word and he prayed it for three weeks. He couldn't sense anything happening, couldn't see anything happening. He just kept on believing, kept on praying, kept on taking God's word. And then an angel came and visited him after three weeks 
and said, you were heard from the moment that you prayed. But the, the demonic forces that, that, that are in Babylon were preventing the angel from bringing through the answer and deliverance. And even the archangel Michael had to come to help get this spiritual breakthrough. Daniel had no idea how his prayers were affecting the spiritual realm. Another great example of that, just to throw that in, is Elijah. Do you remember when Elijah was uh, uh, said that there would be no rain and there wasn't any rain? And then God spoke to him prophetically and he said, I hear the sound of coming, the coming of the rain. And then he began to pray, didn't he? And seven times he was praying through that the rain would come. Seven times it took him. Each time he sent the servant to have a look. Can you see anything? No. Prayed again. Have a look. Can you see anything? No. Prayed again. Very similar to Daniel who for three weeks prayed and saw nothing. It's in a shorter time. And then on the seventh time... His servant said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And the victory had come through. So we looked at prayer as spiritual warfare. But now here in 2 Corinthians, we find this um, element of weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are the strongholds that we face in our lives? Have you ever thought about what a stronghold is. Because I guarantee that there are strongholds in your life that need to be brought down, as there are strongholds in my life that also need to be brought down. Well, what is the definition of a stronghold? A stronghold is a strongly fortified defensive structure. This strong fort provides protection and refuge from attack and also dominates the area in its vicinity, city, or region. I, I'm a student of uh, history, especially military history. I love military history. And one of the eras, eras that I really like is the Napoleonic era. And uh, during that time, they used to, one of the main strategies was to take strongholds and castles from the enemy. And I think of, of one of the campaigns in the peninsula where uh, the great Wellington was uh, fighting the French, endeavoring to in, uh, liberate Portugal. And there was a number of key strongholds or forts in Portugal. And often they would be at major crossroads or major strategic places. And in order to take an area, you had to take the stronghold. Uh, there, there was one particular stronghold, and excuse my Spanish if I, if I don't pronounce it right, called Badioff. Badioff. And this was a stronghold that would fall to the French, and then it would fall to the English, because it dominated a number of strategic roads from which everything emanated. You see, I used to think as a boy when I read about these forts, these strongholds, because they weren't very big, they were just very fortified. I thought to myself, well, why don't you just bypass them? You bring your armies in, you've taken the land, and then there is a, a fortress. Why didn't you just ignore it? Well, you can't ignore it. Why? Because it's dominating the area. The moment you would turn your back, they would send out their armies and hit you in the rear. They would dominate. They would disrupt all the traveling, all, all, the, all, the, all the things that you needed to, to do in that area. And so these strongholds were fortified uh, fortified places 
fortified dwellings that would dominate areas. If you want a biblical example of, of strongholds, think about uh, Joshua and think about Judges. Because do you remember that the Joshua generation were given the mandate to go into the promised land and drive out the Canaanites. Do you remember that? To drive them out. Um, it was God's judgment on the Canaanites. He had, he, he had said to Abraham that one day you'll take the promised land and you'll drive out the Canaanites, but the Canaanites, were, their, their, their wickedness was not great enough to be judged like that until the time of Joshua. And they went in and Joshua did a great job, but at the end of the time, end of his life, he complained. He said, you know, you haven't taken the land. And some of the key areas that they hadn't taken, it wasn't vast areas of land, but it was strongholds. There were five key strongholds. If you look in your Bible maps, often in your Bibles, if you have maps, go and have a look and see at the time of Joshua, at the time of Judges, and you will see down by the coastlands, just inwards of the coastland of the promised land, that there were five key Philistine cities. One was Gaza, fortified cities. You see, it's one thing to take a hilly area, it's one thing to take a plain, uh, but it's a different thing to try and take that fortified stronghold. You go up against it, you can't break through it, you lay siege to it, but you can't break the siege. And so these are what strongholds are. So now, when Paul in Corinthians speaks about the weapons of our warfare are divine to destroy strongholds, what is he speaking about? He is speaking about strongholds of the mind. Strongholds of the mind. You say, how do you know they're strongholds of the mind? Because in the next verse, 5, it says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. In other words, these strongholds are strongholds of deception. This is where Satan comes in because he is the great liar. Remember how he brought a stronghold into mankind. Did you remember? We've looked at this in Genesis, how, how he, he, he spoke to Adam and Eve and, and he deceived them. They said, oh, we can't eat the fruit of that tree of knowledge. He said, really? Oh, God is holding back on you. He knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be just like him. And so he deceived them into thinking that God was withholding blessing from them. He even said, did God say that you will die? You will not die. He lied to them. He spoke against the word of God. And guess what? A stronghold came into the mind of Adam and Eve. This stronghold dominated their minds, so much so they believed the deception, they took the fruit, they ate of it, and the rest is fallen history. Lies, half-lies, half-truths, yet plausible and appealing to the fleshly mind. Do you notice in this passage that it says... We do not walk according to the flesh, in verse 2. For we, though we walk in the flesh, that means we walk in our physical body, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The flesh can mean your physical body, 
But the flesh can also mean the worldly mindset of a fallen world that is opposed to the spiritual mindset of God. They're in opposition to one another. And so these are appealing. So the strongholds that may dominate areas of our lives, of our minds, they appeal to us. There's something about them that are tantalizing these strongholds. There's something about these strongholds that appeal to our pride. Remember that I said that uh, uh, the, the, the major sin of the devil was pride. And Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, don't put a new believer in as a leader too early until they've matured unless they enter into the condemnation that came to the devil. Pride. Pride is at the root of all sin. Did you know that? And pride is attractive. To be, to be proud of something. I'm not talking about, you know, it, it's good to be proud of some things, but you know, I'm talking about self-pride, where you put yourself above others in an arrogant way. There's something about it. So when we're talking about strongholds in our lives today, we're talking about something in our minds that is a lie, a half-lie, a half-truth, a subtle way of working in our minds and our actions. It's plausible. It's something that, we, that, we, we, that is appealing to us. It's something that has a hold on us. Even if part of us knows that this thing is not godly, it's still got a grip on us because deep down in our heart, we believe that we're getting something out of it. And so these arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Now, how do these arguments come? These, you know, arguments are amazing. Arguments, debates are amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm glad the election's over, are you? I'm taking a break from reading about politics. I picked up a newspaper a couple of days ago, and I thought, oh, no, I can't, you know... I've had enough of politics for a while. Um, but throughout that time, argument against argument, wasn't it? We had all of those leaders, and they were debating, and, um, you know, you had all those six or seven leaders, I don't know how many there was, and they're all saying different things. And they're all trying to argue their points, and, and all trying to put themselves forward. And, and sometimes it can be disorientating. You listen to one, and you go, oh, that's, that's actually quite good, I quite like that. Until you listen to somebody else and you go, oh yeah, that's quite a good point too. And then you hear somebody else and go, yeah, I see where they're coming from. And, and these arguments trying to persuade us to vote one way or the other. Arguments trying to become plausible, trying to appeal to us, trying to change our will or, or to direct our will. Spiritual forces in the world, often work through arguments. The development of a stronghold begins in the... The, the, the development of a spiritual stronghold begins in the invisible realm. Look here. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is this high thing? This high thing is a spiritual entity. It's a demonic stronghold. And so what demonic powers will attempt to do is they'll attempt to
to capture individuals through demonic persuasion, through setting up in people's lives a stronghold of the mind to dominate them. Isn't it true that sometimes in our lives we can have a lot of things that are going well? Uh, a lot of the things that are going, we can be very strong in some areas of our lives. But isn't it also true to say that where there's a stronghold, it often dominates us? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know about myself. Sometimes one of my uh, uh, weaknesses is I focus on all the negative things in my life. When I should be thanking God for all the positive things in my life. And so, so many things are going well, and the Holy Spirit's doing a great job, but, but I'm focusing on the areas that haven't changed or need, need change. And, and some Christians have been um, hamstrung, really, from the race of faith because of one particular stronghold, or perhaps a couple, that keep reoccurring and asserting themselves on their lives. Do you know what I'm talking about? It can be that one stronghold. Or you meet somebody, you're discipling someone perhaps in your cell, and there's somebody in your cell, and you see all the good things, but there's a stronghold there. There's a stronghold that rears its ugly head every so often, and whenever that stronghold comes out and tries to dominate all the good that's happening in their life, it seems like it's suspended, and the stronghold asserts itself and says, you know, I'm Lord. Sometimes that can happen with temptation, can't it? Sometimes everything's going well and then there's this particular temptation that is particular to you and that temptation tries to build a stronghold to dominate you. So these are real issues that we are facing in our lives and they, they do come from demonic sources. And so we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of, witness, of wickedness in heavenly places. So these powers of darkness, what they attempt to do is they attempt to win the battle of the mind. You know, I, I remember I've got uh, Morris Sorello's teaching series and his book on the battlefield of the mind, and it's wonderful. Also, um, there's a fantastic book by... Um, What's her name? Thank you. Joyce Meyer on the battlefield of the mind. I really encourage you, if you're interested in these types of things, to get that because that material is talking about how to deal with the strongholds of, of the mind by using the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so behind the scenes, spiritual forces are working and one of the ways that they're working is to bring false ideology into people's lives. Now, sometimes when we speak about demonization, and I'll be talking about this a week on Sunday, how demonization works. Sometimes demonization, we often think of individuals, you know, that, that are struggling with some sort of demonic attack on their lives or a demonic stronghold in their lives, and, and they need freedom from the word of God to be delivered and to walk strong from that. And that's true, but you see, the enemy's clever. He's not just out to demonize individuals. Now, when I use the word demonize, don't, don't think, oh my God, is he going to start, you know, do we need the exorcist? I'll explain what I mean by demonization a week on Sunday, but really, I'm just talking about any type of influence 
of demonic power that gets a root in our mind. So remember Peter? He wasn't filled with demons, was he? But there was a moment when he believed the lie of the enemy. One moment he's walking in revelation truth. Who do people say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Pow! Revelation truth. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Peter, but my father is in heaven. There he is. He's, he's moving in the spirit, isn't he? But then a few moments later, what happens? Peter takes Jesus aside when he speaks about the cross and all the things that he has to suffer. And Peter begins to rebuke him. And he says, that's not going to happen. No, we're going to do something different, Jesus. This is how it's going to work. We're going to put you on a throne. We're going to cause there, there to be a change. And we're going to throw off the Romans. And, and Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. See? He realized that it wasn't, it was Peter, but there was something more sinister behind what Peter was saying at that particular moment, correct? He looked through Peter and recognized that there was an origin or an argument that Peter at that moment was believing and speaking that didn't originate from Peter himself, although he cooperated with it, he believed it, but a demonic force, in fact it was Satan himself. And then he rebukes Peter and says, you think like men think. In other words, you're thinking with the fleshly mind. And because he was thinking of power, he was thinking of glory. He wasn't thinking of suffering, Peter. He was thinking about which throne he would get to sit on in Israel when they kicked out the Romans. And so it was fleshly, arrogance, pride. It wasn't the way of the cross. It was victory without the cross. And the enemy saw that, got into that fooled Peter, pushed that. Peter cooperated with it. Why? Because his stronghold was attractive and then began to speak it. But it wasn't like he was filled with demons and a legion, was it? It was just at that moment, at that time, the enemy was working through him. So when we talk about demonization, we're talking about, about any type of influence at any time that, that, that we might be open. And all of us can be used by God, just as Peter was, to speak truth. But all of us have to be careful that we don't get deceived by the enemy and begin to pass on his deception. This is where cults come from. They, they're demonic. It's not just one person that's in a cult. No, they take that lie, those half-truths, and they spread it. And then somebody else becomes part of that cult. And somebody else becomes part of that cult. And pretty soon, hundreds and thousands, uh, maybe even millions of people can end up with totally false doctrine, and what is it? They are captivated by this. It's not just one person that's under a stro demonic stronghold, but it's hundreds, perhaps thousands, and one lie, one cult teaching can take out hundreds and thousands of people. You see, it's not just that they made up a false religion. It's not just that it's error, but there's something driving it. Something behind it, trying to capture. And this is why in modern day society, uh, we Christians are often under attack, aren't we? For what we believe on various issue, issues of ethics and sexuality. Uh, we find that the church is under great pressure. And what is the pressure? It comes in the form of arguments, doesn't it? 
Have you ever had a non-Christian come to you and say, you Christians, you're this and you're that in your views on sexuality or marriage and, and, and who are you to, and you're bigoted. And you, have you ever had that? And they try and argue against that and, and things like that. Well, what, what's behind that? Well, what's behind anything that speaks against the word of God? Remember, we destroy, these are arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. In other words, the truths of Scripture, these ideologies, these thoughts that can enter into false religion, can enter into politics, can even enter into the church. We, we can even have parts of the church that, are, that, that can be good in certain areas, but have false doctrine in others. You can think of some churches that are so into the prosperity doctrine that they actually almost teach that poverty is a sin. Because if you, sowed and re if you sowed and reaped like they did, you wouldn't be in poverty. And they become so to an extreme, it's demonic. Uh, they've taken a truth, the fact that, that Jesus has died for our provision. They've taken a truth and they've pushed it to an extreme to become an error. And at times like that, the doctrine of demons can get in. And so these strongholds, these powers of darkness that come through, this is why we have to be careful about what we let into our minds. We have to stay close to the scriptures and not assume that the devil can't get into our mindset. Not assume that. The Bible says, beware when you stand lest you fall. In other words, don't, don't think that you're somebody that will never fall into error or a stronghold of the enemy will never get into your life. Because that itself is a deceiving thought. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll never get into error. I'll, the, the devil will never get a stronghold in my mind. Well, that in itself can be a stronghold that's setting you up for defeat. John 17, 15 says, Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should, that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. What is it that makes you free? The truth. The truth will make you free. So the truth is that. The truth of God, preached, taught, read and prayed through. The truth of God, applied, brings great delivering power. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that when it's applied, cuts through the strongholds and the chains of the mind. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. It's truth applied and believed that can break down <clears throat> the walls of any stronghold in our lives. Truth is the power that we are we are, we are, we are uh, believing that, that we'll, we'll do it. That's why, you see, in Romans chapter 1, and verse 17, 18, it talks about the fact that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. You say, well, how, how can the gospel be the power of God? What is the power of God? Is it some sort of like electricity force that comes directly from the Holy Spirit? What is the power of God? Well, there it says the gospel or the good news is the power of God that brings salvation or deliverance. 
The greatest deliverance from the strongholds of the mind is when you are saved. When you are saved, you have had a mighty deliverance of the Holy Spirit. We have looked in, um, in earlier... Um, sorry, I just trying to find my notes. We have looked in, in the first time that we were... In, in the introductory session, we spent time and we, we said that the God of this age, according to 2 Corinthians, has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. Do you remember that? That blinding. And Paul was commissioned to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and bring sight to their spiritual blindness. And so before we were saved, before we were a Christian, we were blinded. We had a stronghold of unbelief that was keeping us from seeing the truth. But when we heard that gospel, and the gospel began to penetrate by the power of the Holy Spirit, what happened was our mind began the process of being loosed from demonic bondage. That blindness of the God of this age was removed, and the scales fell off, and we began to see the truth. The gospel has great delivering power because the gospel is truth. And truth is power when it's anointed by the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I wonder if any of you remember what you were like before you were a Christian. You know, some of us were, got saved, well, I didn't, but some people got saved very young. They were brought up in a Christian household. It was slightly different. But, but do, is there anybody in the place today or watching on the internet and you think back, and do you remember when you hated God? When you thought Christians were, were just, just a joke? When you thought the Bible was, was junk? I remember when I was young, I thought the Bible was junk. I thought it was junk. You know, I didn't believe in this and believe in that. Do you remember that? Can, can you remember how you felt? Can you remember what it was like? It's difficult for some of them. Like you, were, you, were, you, were, you were, had an incredible stronghold that was keeping you from seeing the, king, the kingdom of God. You were blinded by Satan. There it is, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who shone in our hearts to give the light and knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So in order to come to places of deliverance and freedom from strongholds in the mind... We need the scriptures, but the scriptures are not enough. We need the power of God. We need the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered and said to them, in Matthew 22, verse 29, you're mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You see, it's not enough to know the scriptures. 
There's plenty of people out there that know the scriptures better than you and me. Some of them aren't even saved. I remember when I went to university, and I, was, I went to university to do theology. I, wasn't, I hadn't given my life to the Lord yet. And in my first term of theology, I gave my life to the Lord, and I was a baby Christian, and here I was studying theology. And I, I tell this story many times, but I sat down, and I was being taught by a professor about the parables. He was taking us through the parables in the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he was going into the Greek, and we were reading them in Greek. And every time he was going through these parables, I went away blessed. I thought, I'd never seen that. That was amazing. That's awesome. And, and I was getting stronger and stronger in my faith through these lectures and seminars on the parables. And then I stopped and I thought, this is a bit weird, because he's an atheist. So how can I be learning from the scriptures by somebody who doesn't even believe in these scriptures or God? And I was struggling with that until I felt I had an insight. I felt I was thinking to myself, I thought, well, you know, the difference is, is this, is that he knows those scriptures better than me, but the Holy Spirit is applying them in my life, and I'm putting them to work. You see, he knew the scriptures, but didn't know the power of God. He was telling me the scriptures, but as I heard those scriptures, the Holy Spirit was working in my life. I was applying those scriptures. I mean, he could teach on the parable of the treasure in a field, but I went away trying to dig up that treasure, knowing that it was worthwhile, the kingdom of God, whereas, whereas he didn't, didn't want to do that. And so when we speak about truth, we need, we are so dependent on the Holy Spirit not just us reading scriptures. Doctrine or truth that we are not interacting with, with the Holy Spirit, will be of no avail. You're not in error, Jesus said, because you just don't know the scriptures. He says you're in error because you don't know the word of God, nor the power of God. Where there is ignorance of truth and the Holy Spirit, there the devil will reign. The word of, of the Lord is always linked with the Spirit of the Lord. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and instruction. The Word comes in delivering power. This is why when we preach, we should believe that our words will bring delivering power under the unction of the Holy Spirit. You know, preaching is not just giving a sermon. You can go anywhere and get a sermon. You, you can get a TED Talk, or, uh, from somebody who understands business, and, and that, can, that can be excellent. You, there's plenty of great speakers out there. In fact, Paul wasn't a great speaker in the terms of, of those things. He said, I didn't come to you with clever words, but I came to you the message of Christ crucified and the power of God. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, And my speech, Paul said, and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. They spoke of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 verse 10 and said, it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. 
In Ephesians 6 verse 19, after he spoke about wrestling not against flesh and blood, after he spoke about standing against the uh, schemes of the enemy and putting on the full armor of God, which protects us from strongholds, he says, and pray for me, in Ephesians 6, 19, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of God. And so truth powerfully proclaimed, truth sincerely professed, and truth consistently practiced. <coughs> James says, what good is it if you go to the Word of God and don't put it into practice, and don't seek God to come and bring pa the power of that truth into your life. It's like a person going to a mirror and seeing all the hair that's a mess and all the dirt that's on the face and seeing and looking intently into that mirror and then going away and doing nothing about it. No, James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. But hearing itself is, is a spiritual discipline. You see, you can hear with faith. You can hear the words that are being preached or the scriptures that you are reading. And you can be in interaction with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be taking things and, and, and breaking them down for you and actually delivering you through those words. And so, let's come bring it down a little bit to the things that we are facing in our lives. Those strongholds that are in your life, some of them we, we know already what they are. We can identify those strongholds. We have these strongholds in our lives, and although these strongholds are fleshly, natural, there can often be a demonic element behind these strongholds, addictions, behaviors that also need to be recognized. You say, how do I know it's a stronghold? Because you know it's totally opposite to the truth of what God says. It's going counter to the Spirit of God. How do I know I've got a stronghold? Because you, you do the opposite to what the Word of God says. Or you don't do what the Word of God says in a particular area. It's a stronghold. I'm not just talking about the fact that we're all learning. None of us are doing, going perfectly. But this is a, an area that is, that is outstanding, that sticks out, and also tries to dominate the rest of you. As I've said near the beginning, it, a stronghold it doesn't just keep to itself. Like, oh, well, I've got this weakness in, in this area. Well, we've all got weaknesses. But a stronghold doesn't just stay in its area. It tries to dominate you. So if someone has, say, a stronghold in the lust area, to use as an example, uh, everybody may struggle at certain times with such desires. We're, we're human beings. God understands our frailties. And there's no condemnation for us that are struggling because we're in Christ Jesus. But I'm just saying that sometimes something like that can take a huge hold of somebody's life and someone become absolutely addicted and dominated by such things. You can begin dominated by jealousy. You can, can be absolutely dominated by the love of money. All of these things. So when you're looking at strongholds in your life, I'm not, again, I want to say this carefully because I don't want you to go away and think, I've got so many strongholds, I don't know what I'm going to do. We'll come to that in a minute. 
because we're all learning, we're all growing. I'm talking about dominating, dominating areas that God wants to free, free us from. And how do you know? Well, one of the best ways of understanding where a stronghold is is by looking at the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh and seeing how you're doing in your, your growth of fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit and the, uh, the works of the flesh, they are against one another. And if you look in uh, Galatians chapter 5, you'll find them there. And the fruit of the Spirit is what happens when a Christian is going in the right direction. And there's growth in liberty and freedom in our lives. God wants us to be freer tomorrow than we are today. God wants us to increasingly be free. Uh, uh, and, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That's God's agenda for our lives. That's growth. And when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you can ask yourselves, how am I doing in loving? How am I doing? In, how, 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 am I, how am I doing in patience? Am I growing in patience with God and and other people? Am I more long-suffering? How am I going in faithfulness? Am I growing in faithfulness to people around me, in faithfulness in my job, faithfulness to God and commands? How am I doing in, in faithfulness? What about gentleness, which is strength under control? Am I able to use any power I have, whether it be financial power, or if you're a boss, or, or you're in charge of people? How are you doing in that place of power? Do you have strength under control? Are you using your power for the benefit of others? Or are you like a little Hitler uh, when people come into the in, in, in the morning into your office uh, on a Monday morning? You need to look at these things and say, am I growing in these things? And then you can look to the flesh and see the different flesh. And, 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 and the heart of, at the heart of the flesh is lusts. Not just sexual, but also one of the major things at the heart of the flesh, is dissensions, arguments, factions, accusations, all these things are part of the flesh. And if you see the areas of the flesh and you say, hey, I'm struggling one of these areas, well, that's probably an area where you, where, where you have as a stronghold. And next time you hear about a women's encounter weekend or a men's encounter weekend, you should go on one of those weekends. We encourage people to go on an encounter weekend once a year. Why? Because it's at places like that that God can often deal powerfully with strongholds that are in our lives. Our, our encounters for new believers especially do this. Or if you're in a cell group, that's the place. You get to know people. You don't open your heart immediately in a cell group. But as you grow comfortable and secure in the cell group, that's a place where you can stand for one another, help one another in the strongholds that you face. It's not just you alone, but we are here to deliver one another, to encourage one another, to stand for one another, to help one another in whatever strongholds, because we all have them, but they can be different in different people, to help one another deal with these strongholds of the mind that are rooted ultimately in unbelief, and we can get to the root of these things and expose them and, and deal with them and begin to apply God's word. Now, finally, I want to say that these strongholds, it's not just about us identifying strongholds in our life and dealing with them in a cell context, dealing with them before the Lord, dealing with them in services, taking them to God and, 
and going to the root and cutting the root of those demonic lives. But God also wants us to be salt and light in society. There's a wider issue here because thank God, if you're saved here today, thank God because you really are on the road to recovery. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't want you to go away thinking, oh no, how many strongholds I've got. I don't want, you to, don't want my message to become a stronghold. I want you to go away and say, hey, God is at work. And listen, you deal with what the Holy Spirit is dealing with. If you sit down and try and think of everything that's wrong in your life, you're going to be depressed. Well, I will. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you're all right. If I sit down and think of everything that's going wrong, everything that that's, I'm struggling with, I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be negative. And that's not the Holy Spirit. That's, that's legalism, isn't it? No, I'm going to rejoice in what God is doing. Hey, I'm a lot more delivered than I've ever been. I'm a lot freer than I've ever been. Thank God I'm not in the kingdom of darkness anymore. My God, thank you, Lord. You've turned my life around. I've got a testimony. Have you got a testimony? You're not who you were. You're not yet who, you, who, who God wants you to be, but you're discovering yourself. The Christian faith is simply... A journey of self-discovery, finding out who you really are now that you're born again. And so we thank God for those things. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will come and he'll put his finger on one thing. And that's the thing. Don't try and deal with everything. Just say, Holy Spirit, what area? And sometimes the thing the Holy Spirit puts his finger on is not what you'd think he would do. Sometimes in my life I've thought, oh, this is the big issue in my life. This is the big issue. How am I going to deal with this issue? This is the big issue. And the Holy Spirit is saying, just do that. No, no, Lord, this is the big issue. This is the big issue. No, just deal with that, that little issue there. That's what I'm putting my finger on. That's where my delivering power is. That's where my anointing is for your word. Just deal with that issue. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised if you go to the Holy Spirit and say, lead me. Because the sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. This isn't something we do in our own power. This isn't something tick off all these things we have to deal with. We have to go, Holy Spirit, lead me. And remember, the Holy Spirit is not what? An accuser. Remember last week? The devil's name is Satan. And those names, devil, Satan, means accuser. So if you hear the accusing enemy, oh, Bruce is right, you've got so many strongholds you'll never recover. You've got so many strongholds, you're paralyzed. Who's speaking? He is the, he's accusing you. So the devil accuses. So anytime there's accusation, pointing out your strongholds, pointing out, condemning you, it's, it's Satan. And what is the Holy Spirit? He is your paraclete. Do you remember I said that? It says comforter, encourager. When you read about him in John 14 and 16, and the Greek word is paraclete. From, from, and some versions translate it advocate. And paraclete was a word used in law not so long ago. Even in English law, it was known a paraclete, an advocate. So you've got the devil accusing you. Whenever you're accused, whenever you're down, whenever you think you're nobody, I'm telling you it's the devil. You might have issues to solve, but if you're feeling down about it, if you're feeling accused about it, it's Satan. Because the Holy Spirit is your greatest defender, your greatest friend, your greatest support. He will never accuse you. He will come and help you. So he'll say, look at that sin. No, he'll come and say, I've come to help you. 
I'll come alongside you. Paraclete, called Kletos, para alongside. So if you're in a court of law, you've got the devil saying, you're rotten, you're nobody, you'll never get delivered. Look at everything that's wrong in your life. That's Satan. And we overcome him by our testimony and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin and makes us righteous before God in Christ. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's, he's there. He's your defense in the court of law. He's called alongside you. He's your encouragement. He's your power. He's your hope. He's your destiny. And he's coming to say, hey, you need a helping hand? Oh, Holy Spirit. I'll hey, no, no, no. I've come to help you. I brought you this far, haven't I? I turned your life around, didn't I? I that began a good work in your life. Do you think I'm going to leave you down there? Do you think I'm going to leave you lying? Do you think, I've suddenly got this song from university we used to sing. You know, do you think I would leave you dying when there's room on my horse for two? Do you remember that song? The two little boys, they're two little toys, and they're playing on their horses uh, as kids, and then they end up in a battle. I'm going off on it, aren't I? They, I've got one minute. They're off on a battlefield, and they've been playing on their wooden horses, soldiers, but now they're in a real battle, and one is struck and falls off his horse, and it looks like he's going to die, but then out of the cloud, comes, cloud of, of battle comes this horse, and it's his friend, and he says, did you think I would leave you dying when there's room on my horse for two? It's like that poem about Jesus and his footsteps, isn't it? And it's like, oh, when I look at my life, I see your footprints and my footprints on the sand of life. But then whenever there's a difficulty, I only see one footprint. Where did you disappear to, Lord? He said, I didn't disappear. I was carrying you. Praise the Lord. So understand this. The spirit of deliverance comes in encouragement. The Holy Spirit will never condemn you. He will help you. He'll come and say, you're having a bit of difficulty? I've come to help you. And you're going, oh, I'm trying to deal with this. He'll say, Let, let's deal with that first. I'm on your side, always on your side. The Holy Spirit is your 100% greatest supporter. And when we finish this month, we're going to go into a summer series together. And that is going to be entitled, The Holy Spirit, Our Senior Partner. We're going to be talking a lot more about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives and the power that's available for us when we partner with him. Well, God bless you and have a wonderful week, everyone. <laughs>